Hey everybody, it's Nick, and a couple weeks ago, Brett asked our international listeners to visit www.wherethersmoke.co and just leave us a voicemail with their name, where they live, and why they listen to Where There's Smoke. And we have just loved receiving your messages, so thank you to all those people who reached out. We'll be using some of those in a future show. Now, we enjoyed that so much that we are broadening our search, and we would love to hear from our dear North American listeners. If for nothing else, because it makes Brett and I feel good to know that people like the show and would love to tell us about it. So please go to wherethersmoke.co, find the SpeakPipe plugin, and leave us a short message with your name, where you live, and why you listen to the show. Or you could record a voice memo on your phone and email that to connect at wherethersmoke.co. So please send those to us. Oh, and international listeners, please keep sending them in. We love it. So everybody, just everybody listening right now, if you can hear my voice, go to wherethersmoke.co and leave us a message. And we'll listen to those and maybe we'll get them in a future episode. Thanks. I really miss living in San Francisco. And yes, I miss the ocean. I miss the parks. I miss the views and staring at the Golden Gate Bridge. I miss being walking distance from the best mission-style burrito in the country. But mostly, certainly most of all, I miss how I felt there and the environment that cultivated and nourished that feeling in me. And lately, I'm scared. I'm scared of a version of me I could become in my current environment. To use the words in my head, I'm, I'm scared of losing my edge, having my creativity die, getting comfortable, boring, myopic, dull, lame, out of touch. And most of all, my fear is not that these things will just happen. It is that they will happen and I won't notice. I won't know. I'll become resigned to them without even realizing that I am resigned. About 10 years ago, I moved from Australia to the US and I noticed some strange things that happened to me. As soon as I moved, I became a slightly different version of myself. I thought a little bit differently, I felt a little bit differently. It was a kind of strange experience. And at first I assumed that I just moved away from home. So this was just the new me. I'd matured, I was far away. But as soon as I came back and spent just a little bit of time in Sydney, I went back being, to being the old me. And I was curious about this. This is kind of an interesting idea because I'd always assumed there was one central version of who I was and that that central version would never really change, that I had a personality. But as I went back and forth over the years, I realized that that just wasn't true. And I started to wonder whether this was just about That is Adam Alter in a TEDx talk entitled The Multitudes in All of Us. In his talk, Alter discusses the impact that our environment has on human judgment, decision-making, and behavior. And there have been many studies and talks and books written over the years that discuss a seemingly undeniable connection between what surrounds us, our environment, and our identities. And most of us probably have experiences we can point to that show that where we are, what and who is around us, influences who we are. Now, I have been a believer in this concept for a long time. And when I first heard Adam Alter talk about these different versions of himself in the US and Australia, I, I found myself thinking about how I currently felt living in the suburbs of Toronto as opposed to smack dab in the middle of San Francisco. And I felt this anxiety. Do you know that boiling frog story? Well, for those of you who don't, the premise, which 
you know, maybe more of a metaphor than truth, is that if a frog is dropped into shallow boiling water, it will jump out. Of course, right? I mean, it's hot. Staying there would kill it. But if a frog is put in cold water, which is then brought to a boil very slowly, it will not perceive the danger and it will be cooked to death. And as I listened to Alter's talk and looked at my surroundings, I thought to myself, what if I am that frog? What if the biggest danger I am facing is not that my environment could shape me to be someone I don't want to be, but that it will happen and I won't even notice? What if it's happening right now? I've been here for a year and a half. What impact has my environment had on me already, both the place and the people I am currently interacting with? And if I stay here, who will I be three years from today? Is this whole thing just about going back to San Francisco to capture something I feel I've lost? Or is it about creating something different here? Of course, I am in control of who I am and who I will become, but that doesn't change the fact that my environment can propel or impede me, does it? What if this environment is holding me back and I don't even realize how much? At this point, I'm not sure if someone is turning up the heat yet, but I've got to decide if I'm going to stay put or jump. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are exploring how our environment shapes us as Brett, um, I, try to figure out some answers in my own life. Along the way, we talk to Archangel founder and superhero talent scout Giovanni Marcico, and we end the show with a brand new WTS digs. My name is Brett Gaida. And my name is Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. The concept that our environment shapes who we are is not new. And it's not just some notion or idea that seems like it could probably be true. There have been a handful of studies done in the past 50 years alone that point to how people's behavior, the way we think, what we feel, and our outcomes are influenced by our environment. Adam Alter, who we heard from in the intro, compiled many of these studies and experiments in his book, Drunk Tank Pink, and Other Unexpected Forces That Shape How We Think, Feel, and Behave. I mean, let's say you're looking to reduce the crime rate in a part of your city. How could you do that through the environment alone? Well, in Glasgow, Scotland, city planners installed a series of blue lights in some unsightly areas of the city, and lo and behold, crime rates fell. You're my boy, Blue! Years later, police in Nara, Japan copied this strategy in crime hotspots in their city, and again, Blue did the trick. The overall crime rate fell. But if lights aren't your thing, how about windows? There's the well-publicized, albeit debated, broken windows theory that suggests people are more likely to commit crimes in neighborhoods with broken windows. I broke the window again. And this theory has been expanded to show that if an area has visible litter in it already, people are four times more likely to litter themselves. These studies show that we will adopt the behavior 
that seems most appropriate based on what we already see in our environment. And of course, then there's Drunk Tank Pink, which is the title of Adam Alter's book. In 1979, psychologists applied a bubblegum pink color paint to the inside of select jail cells at a Naval Correctional Institute in Seattle, Washington. Pink! They discovered that the color seemed to calm aggressive prisoners. And though the color is officially named Baker Miller Pink, after the Naval Correctional Institute's directors, Baker and Miller, it also became known as Drunk Tank Pink. By the way... For our designers and artists out there, the RGP code for Drunk Tank Pink is R255G145B175. But I digress. Once this discovery was made and publicized, others found reasons to paint their worlds pink. Football coaches began painting their visitors' locker rooms with the same shade, hoping to pacify their opponents. Buses painted their seats Baker Miller pink and discovered that vandalism rates declined. And door-to-door charity workers wore pink shirts and their donations rose threefold. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. Now, while all these experiments and studies are interesting and enlightening, they also highlight an important truth about human character. There is no single version of you or I, even though we talk as if there is. As Walt Whitman put in his poem, Song of Myself, I am large, I contain multitudes. And as Adam Alter put in a New York Times article released following his book, quote, though we are all anchored to our own distinct personalities, contextual cues sometimes drag us so far from those anchors that it's difficult to know who we really are, unquote. Here is Malcolm Gladwell interviewing Adam Alter in March 2013. That notion that there isn't a single version of you is the most subversive thing of the book because Mm -hmm. and it's the thing that we cling to. How many conversations have all of us had in which we talked about what the kind of person that we are, right? But in fact, what you're saying is, well, well, if you if you properly take into account these environmental um, influences, it becomes very hard to know kind of person that you are. Yeah, I think there's an anchor. And so we have, you can say that this person is different from this other person in in certain ways. I think what happens though is we deviate from that anchor depending on what's going on around us. So there is no single version of you, but you will be different from someone else. It's not like everyone in the presence of litter becomes that same person. I think you all have an anchor and then you deviate from the anchor. You could never perceive a person in a vacuum. These, These situational effects are so powerful that At their extreme, you are are no one until you know what that situation is doing to you. And so I am not wrong to be concerned, maybe even a bit paranoid, about the effect my current environment is having on me. But while I get how place can make an impact, you know, city versus country, the color lights, the color pink, etc., when I consider the impact my environment has on me, I feel the strongest influencer is the people. I am surrounded by. So maybe that's where I should be looking. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Many of you have probably heard that idea before. It was popularized by entrepreneur, author, and speaker Jim Rohn. But what does it really mean, the average of the five people we spend the most time with? 
It means that who I become is not only influenced by what is around me, but perhaps most strongly by who I spend my time with. I think of the aphorism, a rising tide lifts all boats. In nature, tides are the rise and fall of sea levels. And it is the gravitational forces exerted by the moon and the sun and the inertia from the rotation of the earth that causes these tides. For us, other people's attitudes, knowledge, wisdom, support, and example are the forces around us that affect when our tides rise and when they fall. If you've got a vision, you've got goals, you have things you want to achieve, it's going to help you, accelerate you, to surround yourself with people that have done the things you want to do, people who have created what you want to create, people who believe in you, support you, and people who you aspire to be like. And don't just hang out with them and hope that their knowledge transfers to you through osmosis. You've got to pick their brain, get some of their strategies, really get to understand some of the systems and processes that they have used to get to where they are. Recently, the first annual Archangel Summit happened in Toronto. The event was created by Archangel founder Giovanni Marsico and featured over a dozen speakers, including Seth Godin, Gretchen Rubin, Gary Vaynerchuk, and Robin Sharma. It was billed as a gathering of mission-driven entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals who want to do well by doing good. And it lived up to its billing. Just prior to the event, Giovanni was interviewed and asked why he believed people were coming and what they would take away. And yes, he talked about the speakers and the strategies, but then he ended with this. The biggest benefit that people don't realize until they show up is connection. You're in a room with people like yourself, right? We all feel like aliens, like no one gets us. Yeah. And then my role is to curate the best room of not only speakers but attendees so that you make better best friends. People who understand your struggle, people who want to help support you grow, and people who are completely aligned with your mission. I had the fortune of meeting Giovanni last year when I first moved back to Toronto. And we've connected a few times since. And so I decided to reach out to him in the hopes of deepening our understanding about the impact that people around us can have. Gio runs a company called Archangel, which is a tribe and community of superheroes and entrepreneurs who want to make the world better. He runs events, masterminds, is launching an online academy, all with the specific mission of making the world better by connecting people. And so I asked him straight up, in what he's built and Archangel's mission, how important is this idea? This idea that our environment and specifically the people in it shape us. About 10,000%. So I, I have this saying now where everything you surround yourself with, whether it's things or environment or people, especially people, are either charging your batteries or draining them. And oftentimes, or most times, you don't, you're subconscious to it. One of the smartest things I've ever done was cut off all of the drainers, whether it's environment, whether it's, and especially people, and completely surround myself with the chargers in personal relationships and professional. So, you know, when we started our mastermind, it was invite only or application only with an interview process. Everyone's curated. And the number one aspect I look for, which is, is kind of unique, is that in my head, I thought, will the rest of the tribe fall deeply in love with this person and resonate with them as much as I do? So here's the thing. 
We are in control of our lives. Ultimately, we decide how we feel and what we do, no matter our circumstances. But we are also human beings. We have emotions, and life can get hard sometimes. Surrounding ourselves with chargers, as Gio calls them, is going to create a conducive playing field for us to build and expand our version of a successful life. Like in sports, it, it gives us a home field advantage. You know, you have this entire crowd behind you, and no matter how dim it might seem at times, they're cheering you on, and you'll be stronger because of it. There's always going to be stressors. There are always going to be challenges. But when you have that support structure of those chargers around you, even with things flying around you like a hurricane, you're, you have that peace in the middle. Peace being P-E-A-C-E. Right? And, and it's just easier to tackle things. And, and you're... Your confidence gets protected, your energy is protected, your focus is protected, so that it's so much easier to tackle the challenges versus being drained where it's like not sleeping for three weeks straight and then trying to work. It's just way more challenging. And it's not just that surrounding ourselves with chargers provides us with support. They also help us to rewire our brains, to change what we believe is possible and how we see ourselves in that possibility. Sebastian Sung is a leader in the field of connectomics, which studies the wiring of the brain. In 2010, he gave a TED Talk entitled, I Am My Connectome. The connectome being a complete map of the neural connections in the brain. And Sebastian outlines in his work that wiring makes us who we are. And while each connectome is genetically unique, how we think is much more than just genetics. And there's a lot of evidence that neural activity is encoding our thoughts, feelings, and perceptions, our mental experiences. And there's a lot of evidence that neural activity can cause your connections to change. And if you put those two facts together, it means that your experiences can change your connectome. And that's why every connectome is unique, even those of genetically identical twins. The connectome is where nature meets nurture. And it might be true that just the mere act of thinking can change your connectome, an idea that you may find empowering. In other words, just as Adam Alter talked earlier about us having anchors, genes may be predisposed to a certain belief and behavior. But if the environment doesn't support it, then that belief and behavior won't manifest. You see, we all have beliefs about ourselves and what we are capable of. And in many cases, those beliefs are limiting based on our environment. Going back to my conversation with Giovanna Marcico, we talked about how important it is to immerse yourself in a community or a relationship where you start to believe that things are possible that you would have never believed in the past. Because your brain is either telling you all the reasons it is possible or all the reasons it is not. And as Gio said to me, sometimes you just need to see other people doing it to know it is possible. And then... The more you actually just hang out with someone in that space or people in that space, and then you realize there literally is no difference between me and them other than they've been hanging out with people like us longer. And you can learn tactics, you can learn strategy, you can learn what works and what doesn't work, but you, 
you have such an advantage by getting rid of the naysayers, the the people who use my favorite word, be realistic, which is like complete bullshit, right? What does that even mean? It, all that means is follow your existing limiting beliefs because everything outside of that is dangerous. And as I thought about how our beliefs are so influenced by our environment and how sometimes we won't even try based on what or who is around us, I was reminded of Zig Ziglar's classic explanation of how you train fleas. You train fleas by putting them in a jar. And you put the top on the jar and you watch those fleas and they'll jump up and they'll hit the top over and over and over and over and over and over. You watch them jump. And finally, after they've been jumping a long time, you will notice that even though they continue to jump, all of a sudden they are no longer jumping high enough to hit the top. Then it's an absolute fact. You can just take the top off of the jar and they'll keep on jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping, but they cannot, I repeat, cannot jump out. You see, they have conditioned themselves to jump just so high. And once they've conditioned themselves to jump just so high, that's all there is. There ain't no more. Is that me? Have I already adjusted my jump height? Now, I know what you might be thinking at this point. Wait a minute, Brett. Are you worried that you are a flea or a frog? And the answer is both, which makes it even scarier because not only is it possible that I will become a mediocre version of myself, but I'll also become some sort of abhorrent mutant animal that leaps from dog to dog saying, So what do I do? What can we do if our environment is not nurturing us or charging us up, but instead it feels like it's impeding our progress and draining us of our energy? I asked Gio for some advice. Where do I start? Where do we start? What worked for me was keeping my eyes and ears open for other aliens, if that's the right analogy, to make it easy. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I was at a lunch with my friend Jason Gaynard and a friend of his, and they started talking about this thing called TEP, uh, Toronto Entrepreneurs of Passion and Purpose, which is like a meetup group uh, that anyone can join on Facebook where people just meet up for dinner and, and talk and there's no agenda, there's no money making. And as they were talking, I felt complete resonance and, and I completely perked up and I said, what, are you what is this thing you're talking about? And then when I joined that community, I started going to meetups with them and having dinner and I started realizing, wow, a room full of aliens. I'm in love already with all these people. And then I just kept searching for more and more groups like that because technology is allowing us now to make it very easy to find other people like us, especially when we feel isolated or alone or, or different. Okay, so I think we need to be willing to make the effort to find other aliens like us. And I also think we need the courage and conviction to remove people from our lives at times. And if we all look at where we live, where we work, and where we play, we can start to see which aspects of our environment are charging us and which ones are draining us. But I also recognize that there will be cases where a physical change of environment is not going to happen. You know, maybe that has to do with your love or responsibility for someone else, a child, a spouse, or an aging or ailing parent. Perhaps you are not in a position to just quit your job today. Or maybe there is much you do love about your environment, and while there are definitely aspects that are draining, you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, as the saying goes. Because really, that's my situation. And currently, my values and circumstances 
outweigh the reasons I would move. So, what do I do? The Lord tells me he can get me out of this mess, but he's pretty sure you're f Wait, what? No, <laughs> no, Nick, Nick, play, play the other clip, the more, the more positive one. Good news, everyone! Yes, see, there is good news, because there is another strategy here. While we may not have control over the environment around us and the people in it, we always have control over how we experience it, what we focus on, how we frame things. We don't have to be a victim to our environment. We can actually change our experience without changing anything outside of ourselves. In Dr. Daniel Amen's book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, he talks about ants. Now, <laughs> hold on. I, I know it seems like I am now introducing ants into a room where there are already frogs and fleas. And frankly, even I am now realizing that somehow this show about people probably has way too many small critters in it. But stay with me, okay? And I promise this is the last one. In his book, Dr. Amen shows that we have approximately 60,000 thoughts a day. That is almost one thought every second during every waking hour. Now, of those 60,000 thoughts, he states that 95% of them are the same thoughts that we had yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Our minds are like a skipping record, repeating the same song over and over and over again. Over again, over again, over again, over again, over again, over again. And of those 95% of thoughts that are the same as yesterday and the day before and the day before that, 80% are negative. You suck. So out of the approximately 60,000 thoughts we have each day, more than 45,000 of them are not good. And Dr. Amen calls those thoughts Automatic negative thoughts, or ants for short. Now, for some people, that might seem a little bit overwhelming. But I'd say that the amount of negative thoughts doesn't have to matter so much. You don't have to be caught up in a loop of negativity. 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 Ugh, worst song ever. Because there are also approximately 15,000 positive thoughts. Seriously, you girls are awesome. 15,000 thoughts that are propelling you forward. And so maybe it's not about quantity, but quality. It's about deliberately focusing on the good thoughts. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. So imagine this. Imagine you walk up to an all-you-can-eat buffet. And for this metaphor, let's say that it is a very big buffet. For the gentleman. All you can eat. All you can eat. All right. When you're ready, take this plate over. Please, don't take the steam tray. 60,000 dishes. Okay. Now, 45,000 of the dishes uh, aren't particularly healthy. Cakes, ice cream, mountains of mashed potatoes, and rivers of gravy. And 15,000 of the choices are healthy. Fresh vegetables, fruits, lean meats, healthy grains. Now, it wouldn't really matter that 45,000 of the options are bad for you if you only put selections from the 15,000 healthy options on your plate. Right? 
And so the same goes for our environment. We may be surrounded by mostly negativity. So we need to understand how important focusing on what supports us truly is. If we are going to elevate our environment, it's not just about changing what's around us. It is about changing how we experience what's around us, about deciding what we focus on. So filtering my situation, the living in Toronto but longing for San Francisco situation, filtering that through all of these ideas, concepts, and strategies, some of that helps me. This has actually been really helpful. It's been beneficial to process all this and remember that, you know, I can take my own advice. I know that as long as I am choosing to live here, and for now, I am. I need to make more of an effort to create new relationships here, to find people that I feel complete resonance with, as Giovanni said. And I know that I can always be working on my discipline around what I choose to focus on. But there is one more important piece I discovered in this exploration. And I, I find this incredibly empowering. And that is the role that we play in designing our own environment. You see, I am not just the boat on the water. I am also a force affecting the tide. Otherwise said, in addition to my environment influencing me, I am in fact influencing my environment. This is the premise and the promise of ontological design. That everything we humans have created has evolved through an interplay of the natural world and our own minds. Futurist philosopher, filmmaker, and speaker Jason Silva describes this as a feedback loop. Those spaces return the favor. Those spaces build our thoughts. Our thoughts build our spaces. The spaces return the favor. So my friend was talking about this notion that ontological design implies that there is this hermeneutic circle in, in, this, in the sense of mind. Mind emerges in the feedback loops between brains, tools, and environments. There's a meaning-making circle. The self emerges like, an, like the Uroboros, like the dragon that's eating its own tail. And... Basically, the, the idea of ontological design is very simple. It basically says that design affects us in a way that is much more pervasive than we're normally privy to. The notion is that whether we're conscious of it or not, everything that we design is designing us back. We are being actively designed by that which we have designed. Or put another way, design designs which in turn designs, which then designs, which designs, which designs. I mean, just this week, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine here, and he was telling me how different some things are since I came back to town. They were small things to me, but significant to him. And as I thought about that conversation, I realized that in my return to Toronto, I have shifted the landscape, you know, even if just a little bit. I have changed the environment in a way that is more in alignment with who I am, my values. So maybe I've been selling myself short. Maybe it's not about anyone else at all. It's not about what I perceive is or isn't around me. It is about what I am going to do about it. It is about the power I have to create an environment that charges me. Because the ingredients, they are all here. I just need to find them or nurture them, or inspire them to life. 
And it's just a reminder of the, the, the sort of dizzying freedom that we have to compose our lives, to compose our experience. Timothy Leary used to call this the vertigo of freedom. It's a crazy idea, right? But it's a nice, I, f I, find, it, I find it reassuring. I find it uh, inspiring. We're, we're the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. We have the pen. We get, we, we get, to, we get to be reality engineers, reality architects. And I, and, I, and I love that. I love that idea. I do too, Jason. I do too. And so I raise a glass to you out there, the listeners and the non-listeners, and to all the spaces, the cities and towns and countries and continents. We are always contributing. We are not frogs or fleas or ants or any terrifying hybrid of those three. No, we are architects. Let's build. I want to send out a huge thanks to Giovanni Marsico for his contributions to this episode and as well the support that he's given me. It's good to know great people. And speaking of great people and being surrounded by them, the date for the 2017 Archangel Summit has been announced and you can be there. It is happening in Toronto, Canada on September 9th, 2017. Go to archangelsummit.com to check that out. And if you buy your tickets now, there are tons of bonuses, including a year's tuition in the Archangel Academy. So again, you can get more info at archangelsummit.com. Hey, everybody. It's Nick here. Welcome to Diggs. Brett's here too. Sorry, Brett. I am here. This is Diggs. You know how this goes. We're going to share with you some things we're loving, things that we're digging, basically. Let's just get right to it. Brett, what are you digging this week? Awesome, Nick. Well, I'm going to keep this pretty short and sweet. Uh, I've done enough talking in this episode already. But you might remember last year around this time, my dig was walking around airports listening to Christmas music. Yeah, I was right? actually going to bring that up. Yes, and, and, and <laughs> I love Christmas music. So oh, here's yeah. my dig. My dig is the Soma FM holiday radio station, which is actually an app. I mean, you can listen to it online as well. But Soma FM is a uh, listener-supported commercial-free radio station that actually started in San Francisco why it's called Soma, South of Market. It's also named after the quote-unquote ideal pleasure drug in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And uh, it's this amazing, amazing like app that has over 30 channels of all kinds of crazy music. Now, what's cool is they put out this holiday radio app that just has their four Christmas music, holiday music station. So there's a lounge station that's awesome and kid and parent safe, as they call it. There's a soul station. There's an indie alternative station. And there's an Xmas and Frisco station, which is kind of explicit and wacky and eclectic holiday tracks. And it's totally free. Now, if you love their holiday radio app, which I'm sure you will, you might choose to in the future invest in their regular app, which actually costs $8. But for $8, you basically have 
30 stations of music for the rest of your life. Alt rock, indie folk, indie pop, electric pop, underground, ambient, electric, dark underground, downbeat, deep house, dubstep, worldbeat, <laughs> jazz, Celtic, Americana. They have a station called Mission Control that's a combination of music with historical sounds from the Safe Space program. It's like Are you serious? Crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. So anyways, <laughs> we can get all to, to all that in 2007 when you buy the main app. Right now in 2017. December, yeah, 2000, sorry, 2017 when you buy the main app. Right now, December... Go download the Soma, S-O-M-A, F-M, holiday radio app. It's free. And listen to amazing Christmas music between now and the holidays. And just know that if you're having family over, friends, play the Christmas lounge station. Can't go wrong. You're in business. Wow, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I know. All right. So <laughs> I wanted to be quick. I and mean, that probably wasn't quick. But I wanted to get to you because I know you've got something pretty cool. So, Nick, what are you digging? Okay. Well, well, well this week, I want to dig like a, a specific idea uh, uh like something that i is a little bit bigger than the examples i have for you so this week i am digging the idea of things that are way better than they have any right to be does that make sense so um i'm really into process when it comes to art music and so whenever something is created that kind of pushes beyond what it probably should be i freak out so for example the first thing that comes to mind when i say that something that is better than it has any right to be is the lego movie I don't know if you've ever seen that, Brett, but I like, I have. You, yeah, you, you, you just go to the Lego movie and you're like, this is going to be some dumb movie about Legos or whatever. And it's like really funny and then has a lot of heart. Like it's way better than it needed to be. So does that make sense? Makes um, sense. So two examples of this week and they're kind of connected is um, I'm going to put on my old music teacher hat for a second. But the first example is from the Shmoyoho YouTube channel. Um, some of you might know them as the Gregory Brothers or the people who do auto-tune the news. And anyway, if you don't know them, they take real video and audio and from the news or from the web, and then they, quote, songify them and make it seem like the person is actually singing. And uh, they did the opening credits to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, actually, if you've seen that. Great show. Um, and these, are, these songs are done just at an exquisite level of detail. But there's one in particular where they took a high school football team's, uh, they came back from a huge deficit at halftime, and they talked to this player who, who sort of recounted what they talked about in the locker room. So they took him. He sounded like this originally. It's going to be hard. You're going to go out there. You're going to battle. You're going to fight. You're going to do it for one. You're going to do it for one another. Do it for each other. You're going to do it for yourself. You're going to do it for us. And then they turned it into this song. You're going to battle. You're going to fight. Win or lose. You're going to be all right. Regardless of the scoreboard. You can do anything that you work for. So, first of all, the song's amazing. And Brett, you've heard it. I mean, you sent it to me, dude. I mean, I'd seen this clip before. First of all, the kid's name is Apollos. That's his first name, which is amazing. <laughs> like, I need to have another child to name my kid Apollos. But every this this went viral, and it's a great speech. And to see a kid in high school talking like this is awesome. But yeah. oh my god, dude, this song—it's in my head. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, the the idea, like for me. The idea that you're going to battle, you're going to fight, win or lose, you're going to be all right is so simple, but put to music, it's like really stunning to hear. And then on top of that, and this is for another time, but he also says, you know, do it for us, do it for each other, do it for yourself, do it for one another. Like, that's an interesting construction of us. 
that I like could spend like ten minutes talking about. <laughs> so like really, and he's not planning this, right? But he has to say it, and then the shmoyo they have to put it together in a certain way, and it creates this other message. So that's way better than any post high school football game interview deserves to be. Okay. <laughs> then on top of that, another example is from bad lip reading. So basically, there's a a guy, presumably, and we don't know who it is. He's anonymous, who takes movies, interviews, songs, and removes the audio, and then intentionally performs very bad lip reading to make these really weird, random, hilarious videos.、Um, and he's done a series on the original Star Wars trilogy where he removes the audio, then lip reads the characters, and then takes those lip readings and turns it into a song. And so, what should be some stupid song with dumb lyrics. He turns to something amazing. He's got this one with Ben Kenobi or Obi Wan talking to Luke, and it's called "The Bushes of Love." And honestly, it's just too good for what it probably should be. In fact, there was this huge mess, and I had to change the floors. The floors? You see, his blood had drained into the boards, and I had to change 'em. But we all got a chicken duck woman thing waiting for us. Every day I worry all day. Waiting in the bushes of love. Something's waiting in the bushes for us. Something's waiting. Anyway, you should just go watch it and listen a couple times. The bridge has almost this、uh, modern, like American opera feel to me, like this recitative longing, and this larger theme of just like you being unable to avoid just shitty things that happen to you. I think is it's a, I think it's amazing. I've had it on replay for like 24 hours, so that is what I'm digging. Uh, things being amazing and way better than they should be. Auto tune the news, Moyoho, and bad lip reading.、Awesome. You can find those links in the episode description, like always. Yes, definitely. And I will also note、uh, we talked about this before we did this segment, but、uh, just I think last week or in the last couple weeks, anyways, they released another Star Wars song called Seagulls. Stop、yes. it now, which、uh, <laughs> is also way better than it has any business being. And、uh, so check that one out too.、Um, all right. So as always, guys, we love hearing、uh, what you're digging. Some people are starting to reach out to us more. You can do that through Facebook, through Twitter, through whatever.、Uh, but let us know what you're digging as well, and、uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, we'll share it with our audience. Thanks. All right, so this is the part of the show where we do some shoutouts, give some credit, and end with a humorous clip that only about 1.5 percent of our audience probably ever hear. If you think our little show is helping you be better and make the world a better place, please, please consider supporting it with a monthly pledge through our Patreon page. Over the coming months, Nick and I will be exploring what needs to happen to keep this community going strong, and listener support is critical for where we are right now. So if you're interested, go to supportwts.com. Again, that is supportwts.com. Thank you to everyone who helped. Spread the word of the show. Special thanks to Bello Collective for featuring our election special in their newsletter. Go to bellocollective.com to sign up and receive weekly recommendations for great podcast episodes. To our listeners who continue to bump us up on social media, you rock! In the past few weeks, thanks to Emily Neal, Erica Robbins, C McLeod, Carrie Bellamy, at Nicole Daw, at the Audio Signal, Mike Ritzius, Mark Brown, Morgan LeBlanc, Jamie Bearford, and Russell Via. And please, 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 if you have not reviewed the show. On iTunes, consider doing that. Your words help raise visibility for the show on iTunes, and that gets us more listeners. So this week, we want to give a special shout out to no one. 
No iTunes reviews in the past few weeks. Help us stop this streak, and I will rhyme your name with banana here next week. Follow us on Twitter at ExploreWTS, find us on Facebook, and join our mailing list at wheretheresmoke.co. Where There's Smoke is written and produced by Brett and Nick, who each week set up blue lights, pick up all the litter, wash the windows, paint the room pink, hang out with five inspirational people, eat only healthy food at the buffet, and focus on the positive in an effort to design the very best show for you, the listener. If you have a podcast or even just a podcast idea and you want to make it happen and make it sound awesome, check out Nick's company at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me, Brett, speak or train or coach at an event within your company or organization, you can communicate to me through brett at wheretheresmoke.co. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of music, Nick, what other artists were featured in this show? This week we've got music from Lee Rosevere, Alex Fitch, Mads, David Saste, The Insider, Ari De Niro, Blue Dot Sessions, and of course, Kevin McLeod. And lastly, in the spirit of R255G145B175, we leave you with this. Wait a minute. Who didn't throw in? Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink? Why not? You don't tip. You don't tip? What do you mean you don't tip? You don't believe in it. Shut up. What do you mean you don't believe in it? Come on, you. Cough up a bucket, cheap bastard. I paid for your goddamn breakfast. All right, since you pay for the breakfast, I'll put in. But normally I would never do this. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.